I've just submitted the new manuscript to Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. This is the second paper on the Temporally Integrated Causality Landscape, or TICL. I'm apprehensive about how the paper will be received at the journal. For one thing, the editor to whom the manuscript goes is Jonathan Schooler, whose general resonance theory is on the other side of my principal thesis. I hope it is at least sent out for review. After all, they invited me to submit a paper for their special issue. And I spent a whole month working on the goddamn thing. Besides that, this is what I am doing every week as I lay out ideas on the podcast for further analysis. The podcast is like a chalkboard, and these words are my equations, jotted down and examined and crossed out and reformulated. I've been thinking about the cerebral cortex. According to the TICL and IIT and Global Neuronal Workspace Theory and most other scientific theories, this is where conscious contents are made. When you stimulate an area of cerebral cortex, you can get two possible outcomes. Either nothing happens, or the subject experiences some sensation or thought. It depends on which area you stimulate. Experiments of this kind were used to map the somatosensory cortex. Provide an electrical stimulus right here. The subject feels a sensation in their arm. A bit farther over here, the subject feels a sensation on the palm of his hand. Notice that the subject experiences the sensation in their arm, or hand, or foot, or wherever. This is remarkable because no signal has traveled to the brain from that part of the body. You could apply a local anesthetic to numb the sensory nerves from the hand. Now tap the hand with a pencil. Nothing. Now cut the hand open with a scalpel. Nothing. But tap the somatosensory cortex on the opposite hemisphere of the brain and the subject will feel the sensation. In their hand, mind you. Out there in the world where their hand is. But no signal has traveled to their hand and no signal has traveled back. The whole business has occurred within the bounds of the skull, and more specifically, within the cerebral cortex. The whole business of consciousness always occurs there. What does this mean? It means that all of your experiences are literally occurring in your cerebral cortex. You see a window. You walk over to it and look out. There are trees and birds and white clouds crawling over a blue sky. You open the window and lean out. The birds are chirping. The leaves rustle noisily in the wind. You can feel that same wind rush over your skin. What I'm saying is that all of that, all of it, is in your cerebral cortex. You are no not looking out through your eyes upon a landscape which surrounds your body. The clouds, the sky, the birds, the window, Everything you are seeing is an event unfolding in your cortex. You cannot see things in the world because things in the world are not visible things. The sounds of birds and blowing wind, events in your cortex. You are not hearing the noise of things in the world because objects in the world are not audible. The feel of the wind rushing over your skin, events in your cortex. In this case, the somatosensory cortex. You do not feel wind upon your skin because wind cannot feel like anything and skin cannot feel. Eyes cannot see, ears cannot hear, and skin does not feel. But you do, don't you? And so do I. So what are we? Well, that's what we are trying to figure out. You and I cannot doubt that we see and hear and feel sensations. But direct stimulations of the cerebral cortex will produce them in the absence of any signal from the eyes or the ears or the rest of the body. Moreover, we know this to be the case because we dream. What this all indicates is that something which occurs in the cerebral cortex, something special, makes it possible to see clouds and trees, to feel sensations, to hear birds chirping. These are cortical clouds, cortical trees, cortical sensations, cortical birds chirping. 
Mind you, we have not solved the hard problem by any stretch to have made this observation. We haven't even solved the easy problem. What the hell is so special about the cerebral cortex? A thin sheet of biological tissue covering the lower brain and folded into the skull. Is this the substrate of consciousness? Let's take a closer look at the cortex. We refer here to the neocortex. In mammals, this is a six-layered sheet of brain tissue which covers the cerebral hemispheres. The neocortex is so-called because it is new in the evolutionary sense. We're still talking here about hundreds of millions of years, and neocortex isn't just found in humans and dolphins and monkeys. It forms the outer brain in cats and mice, too. The six layers are composed of neurons that are arranged by type and common function. Interestingly, the whole cortex is built upon this stereotyped pattern. The difference can be seen with cytological staining techniques. It reflects the size and density of certain types of neurons in that area of the brain. Local cortical circuits form modules with different functions. The following is from a classic work by Vernon Mountcastle, published in 1978. Mountcastle wrote, quote, Each module is a local neural circuit that processes information from its input to its output, and in that processing imposes transforms determined by the general properties of the entity and its extrinsic connections. Modules are grouped into entities such as nuclei or cortical areas by a common or dominating extrinsic connection, by the need to replicate a function over a topographic representation, or by some other factor. The set of modules composing an entity may itself be fractionated into subsets by different linkages to similarly segregated subsets in other large entities. Closely linked and multiply interconnected subsets of modules in different and often widely separated entities thus form precisely connected but distributed systems. The preservation of neighborhood relations between the interconnected subsets of topographically organized entities results in nested distributed systems. Such a distributed system is conceived to serve a distributed function. A single module of an entity may be a member of several but not many such systems. Only in the limiting case might all the modules of an entity have identical connections." Unquote. Okay, so the cortex is conceived of as having specialized modules due to the types of inputs and outputs that they receive. These are interconnected in various ways to produce distributed networks which serve different functions. Mountcastle came to the conclusion that the differences which we can observe in different areas of cortex which serve different functions is not so much intrinsic to the local cortical region, but rather dependent on the connections that were made with that region. He wrote, quote, Cytoarchitectural differences between areas of neocortex reflects differences in their patterns of extrinsic connections. These patterns are in no way accidental. They are detailed and precise for each area. Indeed, they define it. The traditional or usual functions of different areas also reflect these differences in extrinsic connections. They provide no evidence whatsoever for differences in intrinsic structure and function. This suggests that neocortex is everywhere functionally much more uniform than hitherto supposed, and that its avalanching enlargement in mammals, and particularly in primates, has been accomplished by replication of a basic neural module. Without the appearance of wholly new neuron types or of qualitative qualitatively different modes of intrinsic organization. Cytoarchitectural differences may therefore reflect the selection or grouping together of sets of modules in particular areas by certain sets of input-output connections." Unquote. This makes a great deal of sense. It's pretty remarkable that the areas responsible for speech production and comprehension occur lateralized to the left hemisphere. This is one of those discoveries that made it popular to talk about left brain and right brain. 
but I'm not sure if you are aware that these functions are sometimes lateralized to the right brain instead. Apparently this occurs most often in left-handed individuals. In the rare case of split brain with such an individual, the experimenter is talking to the right hemisphere instead of the left. The implication of this is that the way the brain comes together and forms its connections is the thing that determines how a given cortical region will function. It's only a language center because this is where the, the appropriate frontal and temporal connections converge. If they were rewired to occur in the occipital lobe, which is where the visual areas are located, then that area would function in language instead. In a sense, this is good news, too, because it means our hope to understand what is special about the cerebral cortex comes down to understanding one thing rather than many things. What is the basic neocortical module that repeats across the whole cerebral cortex, and how does it work? Mountcastle proposed that the basic neocortical module is the cortical column. He wrote, quote, The idea of the columnar organization of the cortex has developed as a functional concept on the basis of a discovery made in physiological experiments, namely that the basic unit of operation in the neocortex is a vertically arrayed group of cells heavily interconnected along that vertical axis, sparsely so horizontally, unquote. What is meant here by vertical and horizontal can be explained like this. Take a stack of six large sheets of construction paper. These are the six cellular layers. The whole stack of sheets is a model of the cerebral cortex. In fact, this is a really good way to illustrate the cortex. The surface of the human brain is highly convoluted. This increases the surface area of the cortex compared to a rat or a mouse, which has a flat or lysencephalic brain. But the gyruses and fissures of the human brain surface hide the simple fact that the cortex is basically a two-dimensional sheet. If we could strip the neocortex off the brain and flatten it out, a stack of six sheets of construction paper is pretty close to what we would get. We've all used a hole punch at some point, right? Imagine punching out a small hole. The little circles that we punch out form a column six sheets thick. Vertical connections are those that go up and down within the column, so you've not severed them with your hole punch. Horizontal connections are those that run between different columns, so these have been cut by the hole punch. To get the true scale right, you will need to use a tiny hole punch, about half a millimeter in diameter. Now imagine how many cortical columns can be accommodated by the human cortex. Mountcastle goes on to describe the arrangement of cortical columns. The main point is that each column is an input-output device with a huge number of vertical connections among the neurons in the column, but only between 10 and 30 connections with neurons outside of the column. Neuroscientific theorists in the consciousness field generally agree that the substrate of consciousness is the brain, in the brain is contained within the thalamocortical system. This is the cortex together with its connections to and from the thalamus. But plenty of evidence shows that there are areas of the cortex which do not produce conscious contents. If the whole cortex is a repetition of the same basic module with some number of connections in and out, then how can we explain that the primary visual cortex does not produce conscious content? Well. Incredibly, Vernon Mountcastle recognized this way back in the 70s. In this passage, the striate cortex, or area 17, is a reference to primary visual cortex. He wrote, quote, It is important to emphasize, as Hubel and Weisel have done, the isolation of the processing function of the striate cortex. This area as a whole is the least interconnected of cortical regions. It sends and receives colossal fibers only along the representation of the vertical meridian and appears to receive no ipsilateral cortical-cortical connections. No U-fibers link any part of area 17 with any other part of that area. 
the tangential spread of the large majority of the intragrisial fibers is limited to about 1 to 2 millimeters, and there are good reasons to suppose that the principal function of the intragrisial fibers is the creation of lateral walls of inhibition that contribute to the dynamic isolation of an active column from its neighbors. Thus, while intracortical processing within Area 17 is an essential step leading to visual perception, it is probably correct to say that visual perception does not occur there, but rather within a series of complex distributed systems in each of which a locus in Area 17 is an integral part. For the most complex aspects of vision, a primate possessing only Area 17 among all visual and visual associative cortical areas would probably be perceptually blind." Unquote. This supports the conclusion that primary visual cortex and certain other regions are not part of the neural correlates of consciousness. So if we want to isolate the substrate of consciousness, we will need to trim our construction paper model down. We might, for example, clip around the outside to form a good-sized circle. Indeed, this is how I illustrate the substrate of consciousness in my recent paper on the TICL, a large circle drawn in the center of the thalamocortex. I just did a quick back-of-the-envelope calculation. That looks like about three or 400,000 cortical columns making up the integrated neocortex. If each of those columns forms between 10 and 30 connections with other distributed columns, then we have a massive number of cause-effect pathways. If the cause-effect pathways of the integrated brain come down to these 10 to 30 connections between columns, then we have millions of connections. This is what unifies the thalamocortical system and must therefore unify the contents of consciousness into a single mind, your mind or mine. So you are a construct or a pattern of energy exchange occurring upon a circuitously entangled sheet of neurons. People talk about the three pounds of wet pink tissue we call the brain and ask how such a thing could contain everything we experience. The case is even more limited than that. How about a quarter pound sheet of tissue? That is what contains everything we experience and the potential for every experience we might ever have. Never mind the brain in a jar. You could be a sheet laying in a tray like an 8 by 10 photograph being developed in chemical fluid in a dark room. You are not the sheet itself, but something happening within it, the way a computer chip contains the flow of data. Let's assume that the universe in which we live is not some kind of simulation. Let's accept real as real. Let's take for granted that things like trees and clouds, windows and birds exist. Let's allow that wind moves the leaves of the tree and that movements in the bird's throats agitate the air in the form of sound waves. Electromagnetic radiation bounces in every direction, ultraviolet, x-rays, radio, and microwaves. Let's take for granted that all of this is true, that it happens in real time and real space. The cerebral cortex is a thin sheet of nervous tissue, a network of cellular circuits. A scene of puffy white clouds against a vast blue sky is nothing more than nodes signaling nodes. The sound of birds chirping, the sensation of wind upon the skin, nodes signaling nodes. Even the pleasant sense of spring in the air is nodes signaling nodes. You see, the body that you consider home is arrayed with antennas and levers. A hair cell is just a physical lever. The wind blows past and trips the wire which induces the receptor cell to fire action potentials. The inner ear contains a membrane with cells like that arrayed along it. A pressure wave upon the eardrum vibrates the membrane and levers on hair cells are pulled aside. Action potentials. The retina of the eye is a satellite dish constructed of little antennas. Not radio antennas, but they could just as well be. Radio is just another wavelength of electromagnetic radiation, no different in kind than the ones our photoreceptors are tuned to pick up. And when they do, action potentials, nothing more. 
complex organisms have acquired these arrays of antennas and levers through the process of natural selection. Those who survived and reproduced just passed along their architectural plan. You and I are something which occurs in the thalamocortex of the brain, something in, in the signaling that happens between one node and another, and another. We cannot look upon the world outside or listen to its voices. We can only witness the dynamics of the signaling within us, node to node to node. Sometimes Sam Harris will instruct his listeners on the Waking Up app to look for the self, look for the center of consciousness. Look for the point where all of consciousness converges and discover that it cannot be found. All there is from each of our perspectives is the content of our consciousness. We cannot find the center because there is no center. Despite the compelling illusion that you are looking out upon the room in which you sit, despite the sounds you seem to be hearing outside, these things you see and hear are not out there. They are within you. Let's return to the windowsill. Here you see trees and birds in a blue sky. You feel the blowing wind upon your body. I said let's assume that we are not living in some kind of simulation, that there really are trees and birds and wind, and a body with arms and legs and ears and eyes. Those real birds and trees and arms and legs are outside of consciousness. The trees and birds you see are inside of consciousness. The wind you feel is inside of consciousness. You are a circle inside of which there are contents, produced by the signaling of cortical column upon cortical column. There is a whole universe outside of the circle, but it cannot be seen or heard or felt in any way. Rather, you must infer its reality from what you find inside the circle. Even if we are not living in a computer program or some such simulated universe, we are nevertheless living in a simulation formed of integrated signaling in the cortex. I don't see signaling, do you? I don't feel energy exchange between one node and another. I see birds and trees. I feel a gust of wind. Well, how do I know what a bird or a tree looks like? How do I know the sense of wind upon flesh? Because that's what these signals look like as they thread their way through the occipital lobe. That's what it feels like when a gust of cortical activity blows over the somatosensory cortex. Mm -hmm.